Good morning and welcome again to Words of Hope. I'm Mark Yoder and I'm grateful again for this opportunity to be able to share with you this morning. Obviously, I think a lot about what to say and how to say it for these talks. I remember a time in my life when I felt like if I could say the right things in the right way, I could convince everybody to believe what I believe. And I know better than that now, but I still feel like it's very important that we try to say our things in a way that brings hope and in a way that can be understood and, and that is not so ambiguous that it means nothing. And so that is my desire week to week to be able to share in a way that um, makes this message plain. One of the things that I find out that there really are seekers, and I know not everybody is, but one of the themes of my life really is to encourage people to seek the Lord. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thought. And let him turn to the Lord and to our God, for he will have mercy, he'll abundantly pardon. And there is something about purposing in your heart that you'll be teachable, that you'll seek the Lord, that it matters to you um, what he thinks and what he says, that I feel like makes a huge difference. I find that in there's something in people that, we go in cycles. There are certain seasons maybe of life where we kind of don't care and we have somewhat given up on this journey. But for most people at some point in their life, there's a need, a crisis, something that really causes them to say, isn't there more to life than this? Also, not sure how to explain this, but there are some people that never seem to really enjoy a life of sin. It's as though... They know in their heart they were made for something more than this. They see other people at parties and doing things and on the edge of um, a life that is very risky and so on. And they and some people seem to enjoy that. And they look at that and say, but I just can never really enjoy that. And I believe if you're one of those people today, give thanks and purpose in your heart to really seek the Lord. And today I have a special tenderness for those who have made an effort. They have maybe even made a commitment to Jesus. They have tried. One little girl told me years ago, she said, I tried Jesus seven times and he hasn't worked yet. And when I think of people who have set their heart and tried to figure out this thing of this faith journey, I have a really special compassion for them because it takes me back to some of my own experiences um, and some of the journey that I went on and how easily I could have given up and felt like giving up many times. So my encouragement again today, if any of you are saying, I'm not quite sure this Christian faith works, I have some things I want to share with you today, but I also would appeal to you, like I did last week, to set your heart. I mentioned last week, given 21 days, to just tell the Lord daily, I want to learn, I want to hear, I'm willing to follow. And I encouraged you to read a chapter each of those days from the book of John and just say, Lord, teach me. I'm not coming here to correct you or correct this scripture, but I'm here to learn and to listen. 
I found out this week that 21 days is significant. It takes 21 days to break an addiction, 21 days to form a habit. I never knew that when I suggested that last week. But even if you're just listening for the first time, I would just appeal today to give yourself 21 days to just earnestly seek the Lord and say, I'm listening, I'll hear, I'll pay attention, I'll do what you ask. In a minute, I want to come back and share a few things about my early experiences as a Christian. Hopefully, maybe some of you can uh, relate to some of those experiences and find hope in your own journey. Letting go of every single dream each one down
mentioned in an earlier talk that I feel like I came from a very unusual family, very privileged to have parents that were not only religious people, but they were very, they, they had a relationship with Jesus and they lived it out. They were people of faith. Um, I, my, my dad, who I was told grew up with a very hot temper, I never saw him lose his temper with any of us. Not saying he didn't have spunk, but he didn't lose his temper. He didn't yell and holler and say a bunch of things that were to be regretted. They, my parents were faithful to one another. I feel so privileged to have had that heritage, but I will also admit to you that we grew up in somewhat of a legalistic setting as well. We lived with quite a bit of fear. So I remember early in my Christian life, or not even even before I made a commitment to Jesus, just kind of dreading, what's it, what is this going to be like uh, to give up your life to follow Jesus? And I tell people these days, I'm really grateful to have grown up in a family, in a church, where, the, where it was made clear you need to make a decision about Jesus. Um, so I lived with that. And but I, I think I mentioned this a different time that I, I remember also thinking you had to make a decision between having fun and following Jesus. I was pretty sure you couldn't do both. <clears throat> Thank God I uh, made the decision to follow Jesus, and I thought I was doing God a favor and giving up fun, but it's been an incredible journey, and I want to say that over and over again. Living for the Lord is just so rewarding, not just in this hope of heaven, that we get to have, but in how it affects our relationships, our health, our our marriage, our children. I just feel so grateful these days. But anyway, I was 12 years old. We, I'd gone to revival meeting, and I, I, I was, our church taught, probably not accurately, that you didn't really, you weren't responsible until you were about 12. They had this age of accountability that I don't totally agree with. But anyway, I kind of felt safe until I was about 12 years old. And But then I was at a revival meeting, and I realized, you know, Mark, you better make it this decision. And that night, I don't remember anything about the s- sermon. Um, I do remember the speaker, a man named David Showalter, was there. It was at my uncle's church in Dover. And I felt so convicted but it still took, I think, six verses of just as I am for me finally to respond to that invitation to give my life to Jesus. So I go forward and I'm invited down. What's kind of interesting, we went down into the basement of that church on a very cold, hard cement floor, kneeling on a cold metal chair. And my uncle, who is a lovely and precious man, asked me what my purpose was, and I said I wanted to give my life to Jesus. And he led me in a simple prayer, for which I am forever grateful. But I also remember sitting there thinking, well, when you give your life to Jesus, the sky should be bluer, the grass should be greener, you should have these real emotional feelings. And it really didn't quite happen that way. I believe it was important. I wouldn't change it. But I didn't feel much of the emotion that I thought should go with being born again, whatever that was to be like. So I went for a season there. We, I, I, Some very important instruction and preparation for baptism, and then I was baptized. 
and and certainly was trying to live this Christian life, but it really wasn't working as well as it should have. I remember, I don't know if you all know what double first cousins are, but my father's brother married my mom's sister. And so I had a group of double first cousins, and I always tell people that <laughs> double first cousins can be brutal. They're, they're as close to you as... Um, brothers and sisters, but they don't have to live with you. They don't have to go through the correction, and they don't have to kiss you after you've had a fight, that kind of thing. So they can say whatever they want, and um, you have to pick up the pieces. So anyway, one day after probably a cuss word or maybe losing my temper again on the basketball court, one of my double first cousins somewhat sarcastically says, I thought you were a Christian, Mark. For some reason, when he said that, it was very unsettling for me. And I was saying, well, I thought I was a Christian too, but maybe I'm not. And then for a season after that, I think I kind of felt like giving up. And why would I want to try? Why would I want to act? And things kind of went, I don't know, somewhat negatively, spiritually for a season. Then one day, the same double first cousin, and I could uh, take you to the spot where this happened. It's a very significant moment. And uh, my cousin um, said to me that we were baling hay and stacking the bales there and just talking. He said, you know, Mark, if I died tonight, I'd go to hell. And I was like, ooh. I couldn't see much difference in him than me and how he was living his life at that point. And I thought, what's, what's he saying? And he basically said, you know, I'm not living the Christian life, and I and I really don't want to. I mean, I, I don't feel it, as, uh, and I'm just, why pretend? So I will always appreciate his honesty and how that affected me, but I didn't like that for myself. I didn't want to just say, you know what, I'm not going to make it. I went home that night, and I was just troubled, and I opened, started reading the Scripture. And I believe God so often will do this when we seek him, I started reading the story of King David, which is a very, very powerful story. In the story, um, God was <clears throat> had anointed Saul to be the first king of Israel, and then Saul, in his disobedience and wasn't following through, the Bible says he was rejected. And the Lord told Samuel, I found a man after my own heart, uh, and I'm... Uh, making this story brief, but where he said, one of the sons of Jesse, and I want you to go there to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint this boy, this man to be king. He's a man after my own heart. So uh, Samuel went up there, and it's very interesting to follow this story. Uh, We know the story now that it was going to be David, but David was the youngest. He was out tending sheep. He was so unimportant to his father that he didn't even bring him in for this event. And as Samuel comes to the house of Jesse, he sees the oldest son. He says, wow, he's impressive. This must be the one. But the Lord says to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. And he went through all the seven sons that were there, and none of them were chosen. And Samuel says to Jesse, don't you have any more sons? And he said, oh, yeah, there's the youngest out taking care of the sheep. And so they went and brought David in. And when 
he came in, the Lord spoke to Samuel, said, this is the one, anoint him to be the next king of Israel. Now, there's a number of things there, but one of the important things is you and I don't have to make things happen. Our God sees us. He knows us. He knows how to open doors. And you can just wait patiently. Don't feel like you're being left out of anything. But there's another part of this story that really spoke to me. One, of course, was I think of any person that has a spiritual heart and longing, a longing to please the Lord, would certainly love the description that God gave of David, a man after my own heart. And so if you watch him, you see a man with courage, the story of David and Goliath and the deliverance there and so many others. But there came a time when King David had really serious failure. The Bible says that in the season when kings go off to war, to defend their country and so on, David stayed home and he was in the palace one evening and he looks out and he saw a woman bathing, Bathsheba. Many people know this story to some degree. Anyway, what what he didn't know was that she was the wife of one of his close friends, Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. And he sent and inquired of who this woman was, and he was told it's Uriah's wife. And he had no, no respect for that. He invited her to the palace. Um, they had sexual relations, and he sent her back home. And in a few weeks, she sent word to him and told him she's pregnant from this because her husband was gone. He was out in, with the armies of God. Well, when David found that out, he was trying to cover himself, and he sent for his friend Uriah to brought him home and told him to go home to his wife. Uriah said he wouldn't do it. How could he come and have pleasure while the armies of God were fighting? So the next night, David actually got him drunk and thought maybe he could convince him in his drunken condition, but still he just laid down there where he was and wouldn't go home to sleep because, again, he said the armies of God are at risk. How can I do that? Then David did a horrible thing. He came up with a scheme. He wrote a letter to Joab, the head of the army, and he, and he said, I want you to put Uriah at the most dangerous place in the fighting, and then I want you to have the men retreat. And, and he was scheming to have his friend killed in this way. And then he sent this letter by Uriah. I mean, by um, Uriah. <laughs> I drew a blank there. By, the, by Uriah, this very man that he was, had, had, had um, brought home to try to cover up his sin. And when he took the letter back, gave it to Joab, then Joab followed the directions. I don't know what Joab thought, but he must have been sort of troubled by it. So a little later, he sends word back to King David. He says, we've had casualties, um, but Uriah the Hittite is dead. And David just kind of nonchalantly says, well, casualties happen. And then after there was a time of grieving, he brought Bathsheba and made her his wife. The Bible doesn't say terribly much about that except one very telling statement. It says the thing that David did displeased the Lord. And it goes on for a little while. If you do a study of this, you'll see that it went on quite a while, but if you look at what David did, he broke almost every one of the Ten Commandments in that whole thing. He put his lust for a woman 
ahead of God, made an idol of her. He blasphemed the name of God by saying he was a godly man and then acting like this, and, and the list goes on. He was dishonest. He lied. He actually had his friend killed. Um, he coveted. There's just, he broke every one of the Ten Commandments as he was going through this. No wonder the thing that he did displeased the Lord. When I look at this story, and I think this was a man after God's own heart, you start to say, how can this be? But I think the way you see it is when probably, I don't know how many years later, if you look at the genealogy, Solomon is the fourth son of Bathsheba. So it took some time, I believe, before David was ready to repent. But eventually the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to David, and he told him this little story. He said there was a a very rich man with many sheep, and his neighbor was a poor man with only one little lamb that he raised in his own house like a child. And one day the rich man had guests, and he took this lamb from his poor neighbor. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe the man owed him money, and he felt entitled to do this. I'm not quite sure why he did it. But anyway, he took this this lamb that was like a pet to for his friends for the meal. And Nathan, as he told this story to David, David was angry. David was sort of like a, um, you could say, sort of a judge. As a king, he he could have corrected this. And he said, that man deserves to die. He was so angry with what he did. He said he'll have to pay back four times because in his mind he had stolen, and that's the law. You pay back four times what you stole. In this story, the the prophet puts his hand, well, we don't know that for sure, but it seems like he puts his finger on David and he said, you're that man, David. He said, when you took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, you were worse than this man that took this little lamb from his neighbor. And he went. David, at that point, could have said, I'm not listening to you, I'm the king, I don't have to take what you say. But the Bible says that David was broken and repentant. In fact, if you want to read his psalm of repentance, it's Psalm 51, where David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. He goes on in that psalm to just pour his heart out to God in grief and sorrow for what he had done. He says one place in there, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. But David, I think, also recognized in that one verse, he says, created me a clean heart, knowing it was how much he needed to be changed by the power and grace of God. Now, that's quite a long story for me to tell you, but when I read that story as a young boy trying to figure out if I was going to heaven or hell and if there was hope for me, For some reason, that story brought incredible hope. And by the way, the stories of the Bible are given for our learning. And I'm I'm sad today that so many people don't know the Bible, know very little about it, know very little of facts. Some of the harshest critics of the Bible know almost nothing about it. But this story gave me hope. I remember saying to myself as a young boy, if David, with all these mistakes and all these failures, could be a man after God's own heart, then there's hope for me. And I kind of purposed and resolved and said, you know what, Lord, I'll never quit. I'll listen. When you send people to correct me, I'll listen. Um, 
I'm not saying it was a one and done thing, but something happened in that story. I felt like if I would never quit, if I just keep after this thing of, of being <clears throat> listening to the Lord and and when I did something wrong, instead of defending myself, I'd say, God, I'm so sorry, help me, that then there was hope for me. And I want to share that with you today. If any of you are at a place in your life where you feel like, you know what, I've tried this thing and it hasn't worked, don't quit. This is no time to say, I'm done. This is time to go back to the Lord. And in a way, I'm not saying I'm Nathan the prophet, but in a way I'm saying to you, hear, hear the word of the Lord. Those that seek me, find me. And those that humble themselves and those that listen, those are the ones that I give instruction and open up the very windows of heaven, the knowledge of me and of my ways. So have hope today. Don't turn away from it. Don't give up. Don't say it's what's the use. Don't look in the mirror and say that that person there is a failure. Rather say, I am a needy person. I am somebody that needs help and grace, but I will never give up. In the morning when my heart is cold, you're the heat for my weary soul. You're the good in all I know. In the mirror, all that I see is your grace looking back at me. I'm not the man that I used to be. Everything comes alive
chose <clears throat> the title Words of Hope for these talks. One of the reasons I chose that is because I felt like I was running into so many people that were discouraged and almost hopeless with life. A uh, number of suicides that I've referred to recently. And that is one of the deepest aspects of these talks that I want to restore hope to people. I want people to believe with all of their heart that when you come to the Lord, there is hope. There is forgiveness. There is grace. That the heartbeat of God to me is he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the truth. And so, again, I appreciate you taking time this morning to listen, to be part of this this morning. I want to wish you um, blessings from our God. I want you, though, to take seriously this appeal to be a seeker. It, there, for some reason, is a very big difference between those who are willing to be taught and those who aren't. And many people are satisfied with life as it is to some degree, but down deep there's an underlying thing, I believe, that says, you know, I really want my life to count for more than just that I had fun, that I got to go places and make money. But at the end of my life, I want to know that I've made an impact for eternity. And if that's in your heart today, I know it's not everyone, but if it's in your heart today, be a seeker. Set set your heart to to wanting longing for his will and then watch God began to open doors for you again today I um, anybody has comments or some things they want to mention to me my email is m as in mark b as in boy yoder y-o-d-e-r at gmail.com and I would answer any letters that you would send try to answer any questions you might have But again, I thank you for joining us this morning, and we'll see you again next week on Words of Hope.